Hey, good morning, church family. It's good to see those who are worshiping with us in our worship center, and we're glad to have those that are joining us today online. Thank you for being a part of this service. Uh, today, uh, we are going to be talking about a message about a tipping point election. Now, um, Janice and I were at the beach this past week uh, with Lauren and our six-month-old grandson, Brantley. Uh, I told him that I was going to be preaching on the presidential election, and he was so ecstatic. Let me just show you his expression. I mean, he, he was jacked up and is excited about it, which I know many of you are excited, too, for me to preach this message. Well, um, I think everybody, whenever you uh, preach a message like this, have got expectations. I feel pretty confident that after this sermon, everyone will be upset at me, uh, except for my wife, Janice, and she's already expressed her undying love to me, so I feel good about that. Uh, there will be those on the one hand who will be upset because I was not a cheerleader for a particular candidate and at the same time demonize the opposition. There will be those, on the other hand, who will be upset because they'll accuse me of cherry-picking specific social issues to make their political party look bad. So with that exciting foundation, let's jump in, all right? Let's get after it. Hey, this is a very important election. Many have called it a tipping point for the future of America. Yes, we are a divided country that is losing its way morally but I believe it has already lost its civility. Perfect illustration, a couple of days ago at the Senate Judiciary hearing for the nomination of Amy Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court, Senator Dianne Feinstein, the lead Democrat on the committee, hugged Senator Lindsey Graham, the Republican who led the hearings, and at the conclusion of the hearing, she said to him, this has been one of the best set of hearings that I've participated in. It leaves one with a lot of hopes, a lot of questions, and even some ideas, perhaps, of good bipartisan legislation that we can put together. Man, I heard that statement. I said, this is incredible. This is what you want. Every person who's ever run for office always says, I can stand on both sides of the aisles. I can bring the two parties together. I'm the man, I'm the woman that will bring bipartisanship back to our government. And here was this Democratic senator hugging this Republican senator saying, hey, I just want to thank you for the way you led those men. I said, well, great. The response should be phenomenal. Not so. The response from her party, the Democratic Party, was this. Progressive groups lashed out at Feinstein over her comments with some, including the pro-choice organization Norrell, saying it was time for her to step down from the Judiciary Committee. And when the Senate Minority Leader, Chuck Schumer, Democrat in New York, was asked if he planned to make any changes to leadership of the Judiciary Committee, his response was, I had a long and serious talk with Senator Feinstein, and that's all I'm going to say. Listen, she still towed the party line. She stood by her convictions. She boycotted the vote as every other Democrat did. But yet, she was chastised by the act of civility by complimenting the one who led the hearings. This is crazy. And just so you don't think I'm just throwing rocks at the Democratic Party, I don't think I've read anywhere in the last three or four years about a Republican coming up to a Democrat in the House and said, hey, I just want to thank you for the way that you led those meetings or those hearings or whatever. That's just what would be a common civility to say, hey, I don't agree with your position, but I really do appreciate the way that you've led the meeting. We can't even do that. 
This is crazy. James Madison, <clears throat> the chief architect of the Constitution, made this statement. He says that we have staked the whole future of American civilization, not upon the power of government, far from it. We have staked the future of all of our political institutions upon the capacity of mankind for self-government, upon the capacity of each and all of us to govern ourselves, control ourselves, to sustain ourselves according to the Ten Commandments of God. The founding fathers knew that the greatness of America would be determined by the goodness of the people. And Madison and others understood that the secret to self-government is that people must themselves be self-governing. Today, as America loses its way morally, its character erodes, and its ability to govern itself effectively dissipates. Its leaders begin to make laws and policies that are in opposition to the values and the moral bedrock from which this country was founded. And the result is chaos, confusion, lawlessness, and a redefinition of what is normal. I listened to a talk by Steve Farrar, and he pointed to Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. And in Isaiah 5, 20, the prophet said this, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Listen, we have a redefinition of normal. We call good evil. And we call evil good. And if you disagree with this new normal, you're strongly criticized. And if you call what used to be good, good, you'll be criticized. And if you call what used to be evil, evil, you'll be criticized. And even worse, you will be canceled. Then add to this the increased fascination with Marxism and socialism. What's up with this? You know, I grew up with all of this when, uh, when I was growing up with Russia and Cuba and all of those things. And it says, you know, Marxism and socialism is an ideology that throughout history has resulted in totalitarianism, repression by force, economic stagnation, loss of opportunity, loss of freedom, loss of hope, and massive losses of life. It's an ideology that is the antithesis of the grand experiment called America that was founded on freedom, virtue, and faith. I don't just take my word for it, just uh, Google Venezuela. I mean, I did. I looked at Venezuela, who has embraced socialism, and it's, there's a question here that says, why is Venezuela in, in crisis? Political corruption, chronic shortages of food and medicine, closure of companies, unemployment, deterioration of productivity, authoritarianism, human rights violations, sanctions from other countries, gross economic mismanagement, and high dependence on oil have contributed to the worsening crisis. That's socialism, and that's the results of it. Seems like you'd want to stay away from that. So, this election. We have two political parties who have two very different visions for America. And as Christ followers, what are we to do? So let me just share with you what I believe that we should do as Christ followers as we approach this election. Number one is this. We have the responsibility to vote, so vote. Uh, I love the fact that both sides are pushing so hard for people to vote and let their voice be made known. And as Christians, we should do this. In Romans chapter 13, verses one through seven, the apostle Paul said that government is a God-ordained institution for the purpose of promoting good and restraining evil. 
The government has the authority to enforce laws, penalize lawbreakers. Government is not the savior. Jesus Christ is. And the government doesn't always operate efficiently. One of my favorite sayings that Ronald Reagan, former pastor, said was this. The nine most terrifying words in the English language are, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. (laughs) But listen, government can cultivate the good and punish the evil to help maintain a prosperous and orderly society. And this is the way government is to be set up and it is ordained by God, as Paul says in Romans 13. We live in a government that allows us to elect the leaders that we want to govern us. And so as followers of Jesus, we should have a say in the laws, the regulations, the structures, and the systems that govern our country. Our votes collectively shape our government. So let your voice be heard and vote. Folks, don't sit this one out. Don't use the excuse, well, the lines are going to be too long. You will stand in line for hours to buy tickets to a concert. You will arrive four hours early for a sporting event. You'll stand in line for hours to get the new iPhone. So stand in line to vote. It's a lot more important, okay? And it's not just voting for the president and the vice president. You see, there are other races for Congress and judges that are on the ballot along with amendments here uh, in the state constitution. And your voice needs to be heard. There's some good men and women running for other offices that need your support and your vote. The voices of Christ's followers need to be heard. So the first thing is, is that we have the responsibility and opportunity to vote. So vote. All right. Number two is this. Before you vote, study two documents, the Bible and the two parties' platforms. The Bible and the party's platforms. This is the second time I've preached this message, and actually it should be three documents, shouldn't it, okay? Uh, We got the Bible here, you got Republican platform, Democrat platform. You wanna study them and compare them. You need to look at those too. Listen, the presidential election, it's not about personalities, it's not about social media, it's not about Hollywood or sports professionals endorsements, it's not about biased media outlets, it's about party platforms, policies, and procedures. It's not a personality or a popularity contest. You see, you need to take the party platforms seriously. Research has shown that the Democratic and Republican lawmakers in Congress voted in accordance with their platforms 82% of the time. These written platforms are not just some generic boilerplate document These platforms expound their party's vision for America and the Republican and Democrat platforms expound two vastly different visions of America. Read them and understand them. Platforms are the key. And there are many issues. And if you start reading through platforms and you begin to listen, there are so many issues. Let me just give you a laundry list. These are issues that are being dealt with. Judicial appointments, gun control, gender identity, government mandates, drug policy, social security, social media regulation, minimum wage, government spending, corporate tax rates, capital gains tax, property tax, pension reform, labor unions, tariffs, immigration, border wall, border security, campaign financing, foreign lobbying, healthcare, Medicaid, marijuana use, veterans affairs, elementary to college education, climate change, oil drilling, fracking, 
alternative energy, nuclear energy, space exploration, foreign aid, foreign elections, prison reform, police reform, drug trafficking, public transportation. And then there's that litany of letters, the UN, NSA, FBI, the WHO, the DOJ, and even NCAA college football. President Trump said, hey, they're playing again because of me. So, you know, even college football on there. Look at this. These are all these issues, all these issues that are out there. And so on one hand, you've got party platforms that deal with this. And then on the other hand, you've got God's word, the Bible. Now, God's word, the Bible, does not specifically deal with many of these issues, okay? But there are some things that God's word specifically speaks to. And I would encourage every believer to say, okay, well, let's just see what God says to specific things, all right? And then when I hear that, then I can begin to do my research and see what I want to do from there, all right? I have identified at least five issues that God speaks directly to. Number one is this. God commands us to do justice by caring for people. God commands us to do justice by caring for people. Now this, you will see a lot in the Old Testament and you'll also see it in the New Testament. This call for God's followers, God's children, to show justice to others. Couple of verses, Micah 6.8. Micah 6.8 says, he has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. You are to do justice. The prophet Isaiah, chapter one, verse 17 says this, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, and plead the widow's cause. Now these were some who, who were really put down in society, who had no voice in society. And what he says is give a voice to the voiceless. And he says, this is our responsibility as believers. And for us, we can look at this and see those who have been oppressed. We can see about the immigration and the refugees and all of these issues. We as believers need to do something about it. However, there's nothing that you can find direct principle in scripture that says, what's the best pathway to citizenship? Do you build a wall or not build a wall? You got open borders, you got closed borders. You're not going to see God speak directly to that. What he does speak to is the overall, and that is that we are to do justice by caring for people. So look at the platforms. Find out who is doing that. Who is coming up with um, ideas to care? All right, number two is this. Racism is evil, and we must work against it. Racism is evil, and we must work against it. Uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 Genesis 1.27 says, so God created man in his own image, and in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God created man, male and female, in his image. So if we are all created in the image of God, we cannot value one group of people over another group of people based on characteristics like color of their skin. You can't do that. It's unbiblical. So from a Bible standpoint, racism is evil, and we need to work against it. Look at the platforms. Number three is this, gender. God clearly made people as distinct men and women in his image. God clearly made 
people distinct, men and women in his image. You go back to that Genesis 1:27, and he says, God created man in his own image, an image of God. He created them male and female. He didn't give you a third box to check. He said, it is male or female. And as Christians, we are to affirm two genders as gifts of grace from God to be honored in every person. This is what God's word says, speaks clearly to it. Number four, marriage. God's word speaks clearly on marriage. He says marriage, God clearly defines marriage as a monogamous union between one man and one woman. God clearly defines marriage as a monogamous union between one man and one woman. He said, where do you get that from? You get that from Genesis 2.24. In Genesis 2.24, Garden of Eden, he created man and he created woman. He says, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. He created man, then he created woman. Then he brought them together to be together, to be union together in marriage. Jesus affirmed this when he taught it. The apostle Paul affirmed it in Ephesians 5, 31 and 32. And he said, he quoted this exact same verse here. And then he said, this is a representation of Christ and the church, the bride and the bridegroom. And so he says, this is that coming together, that uniting together of uh, Christ and the church. So marriage, uh, clearly what God teaches on that. And number five is abortion. Abortion. God's word clearly indicates that he forms children in their mother's womb and life begins at conception. God's word clearly indicates that he forms children in their mother's womb and life begins at conception. And so whenever you get into discussions about abortion, you need to come to the understanding, what does God's word just lay it out. What is God's word? Psalm uh, 139, verses 13 through 16. Read, look what it says. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. He said, from the moment of conception, you began to form me, and you laid out the days that were for me. And so um, God's word clearly indicates that God is the one that forms children in the womb, and that life begins at conception. Therefore, the Christian position asserts that abortion is a wrongful taking of a person's life and that we should protect life in the womb. Now, it's interesting that during COVID-19, during this pandemic, some of the same voices that are screaming for us to follow the science are silent about following the science that has proven that life begins at conception and that what is being created inside a mother's womb is not a lifeless fetus tissue, but is a living, growing human being. So follow the science and the scripture in that issue. Now, those are five points that God clearly speaks to. You can look in scripture and he clearly speaks to it. Now, so what do I do? You need to read the two platforms. Take the Republican platform, Democrat platform. There are great differences between those two parties and between the candidates. In fact, there are enough differences in those two platforms to drastically shape the direction of our country for the next 20 years. So this is a huge election. 
with long-term ramifications that will affect your children and your grandchildren. So read the platforms, read God's word, pray, and then you vote for which one best represents your vision for America. Now, if you're gonna take me up on this, you would Google it and say, okay, I'm gonna Google the Democrat platform, the Republican platform. And then you're gonna look and it's gonna say it's like over 60 something pages or ever how long, a little bitty print. You say, ain't no way. So I'm gonna make life easier for you. You ready? All right. There is a uh, website that you can go to called alabamapolicy.org. And alabamapolicy.org gives a summary and a comparison of the platforms. Now I've read it and I've gone through every single one. I read all the Democrat, all the Republican and read all, all their comments. Yes, there are some websites that try to lean you towards this side. And there are some that try to lean you towards that side. These folks are pretty well down the middle uh, as the way they've looked at it. But here's the great thing about it. You go to this website, it'll have the main issues and it'll say, this is Democrat party, this is Republican party. There's some things Democrats speak on that Republicans don't speak on. There's some things Republicans speak on that Democrats don't. You just read through them, okay? Now let's say you read through that and you see something, you go, nah, I'm not sure. Did they just sort of cherry pick that out of there? Okay, you find out what it is, go to the actual every word, not the uh, summary version and read it. And just read the entire thing. And then you can look and say, okay, I think they've handled it fairly. Does that make sense? I mean, you're saying, Danny, you're asking me to work. Yeah, yeah. This is a huge election. Don't just go because somebody posted something funny or cute or mean or something on some social media post. Well, golly, I'm going to go vote for them. Uh, this is a very important election. And you need to be informed on it. And so this is the best way to do that, okay? So I'm not telling you how to vote. I'm just telling you, research it. Research it, pray, and then you vote, okay? Now, here's the third point. And this is rest assured in the sovereignty of God. As we go through all of this, we can rest assured in the sovereignty of God. Let me just share these verses. You can write the verses down uh, over here. Just found where they are. Number one, first, when he talks about uh, the uh, sovereignty of God, Psalm 103, verse 19, look what he says. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules, where? Over all. Number two, the second verse, Job 12. We just spent five weeks in Job. Look what he says, Job 12, 10. In his hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. He is the one that gives us our breath. We are in God's hand. Further, Job chapter 12, verse 23. He makes nations great and he destroys them. He enlarges nations and he leads them away. He is sovereign and he is in control. Daniel chapter two, verse 21. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and he sets up kings. Hmm. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. God removes kings and he sets up kings. And last of all, Proverbs 21, one. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Whoa king's heart, just like a stream of water, and God can turn it wherever he will. See, the truth on these verses is found uh, in the Old Testament when Jeremiah uh, was prophesying, and he told Israel, because you sinned against God, there's another nation, Babylon, that is going to come, and they're going to take you over. Sure enough, they did. And then he said, when they take you over, you will be in captivity for 70 years. And at the end of 70 years, God will, you'll get a release and they will allow you to come back to Israel 
at the end of 70 years. Okay. Well, so their question is, well, how are we going to get released? Babylon's not going to do that. Well, God raised up a man by the name of Cyrus. He was a king of Persia. And uh, the Persians and the Medes, they came and they took over Babylon. And so all of a sudden you got a new king, Cyrus. Now, he's not a God follower, but God impressed in his heart and is found in Ezra chapter one to release the Hebrews and to send them back to Israel. And it had been 70 years. And so God worked in the heart of this king to be able to have his will done to take the Hebrews and bring them back to the nation of Israel. So remember this, things are not out of control. They are under his control. There is a plan on God's timetable. He's not wringing his hands, wondering how America got like this and wondering what to do. God is in control. So does that mean that we just sit back and don't vote and leave it up to God? No. If the doctor says he sees something troubling and you need to get an MRI, do you just say, hey, God's in control, I won't get that MRI? No, you get the MRI. When your child is bullied in school, do you as a parent do nothing and just say, well, God's in control? No. So you vote and you trust God. You rest in the sovereignty of God and somehow through all of this, he will display his glory. Who knows? Maybe the next president will be a King Cyrus that God uses to bring our nation back to him. Maybe the next president will be a Jeroboam, the king of Israel, who God said, I will give Israel up because of the sins of Jeroboam, which he sinned and made Israel to sin. Listen, your responsibility, my responsibility, pray, vote according to God's leadership, and then you gotta rest in his sovereignty. Number four, maintain unity in the church. I don't think in all the years I've ever preached about elections or what's coming up, I've never had to mention this, but today is a different day that we're in. Maintain unity in the church. Researchers have shown that followers of Jesus are dividing into different churches, not based on what they believe about the Bible or the gospel, but based on what they believe about political candidates, parties, and positions. And to where people say, I'm going to a Democrat church or I'm going to a Republican church. Don't really care about the theology. It's kind of like, where are you uh, politically? Well, Ephesians chapter four, verses two through three, Paul gives an admonition to unity. And look what he says. He says to this church, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. In these two verses, what Paul is telling us is that we need to have these distinguishing characteristics of humility, gentleness, patience, and bearing with one another is like long-suffering. We are to have our convictions. Paul does not say anything here about put your convictions off to the side. In fact, in Romans 14, he talks about how a church is going through some questions and, and people are kind of arguing about some things and he never called them out about the issues. He just called them about how they were handling the issues. And so when you come to be a part of a church and you're part of, of, of the body of Christ, it, it means that different people will see things differently. And there may be different issues where you look at it differently than I would or this person or that person would. And what, it, what we should do as believers is just to be able to talk about those things, to sit down and say, let me talk to you about this issue. I believe this and this and this and this. And your response is to listen 
And then if you don't agree, come back and say, well, let me tell you why I don't agree with that. And then you talk, and let's just go back and forth, not in a contentious way, just sharing. And what will happen is you'll learn more about this person's position. They'll learn more about your position. Will anybody change their mind? I don't know. Maybe they will, maybe they won't. But at the end of it, as believers and brothers and sisters in Christ, it is we are to, used to say shake hands and hug, but now you just sort of wave from a distance and stick out an elbow. <laughs> but you just say, hey, that's okay. We, we, can, we can agree to disagree. Because you see, our main purpose is not to fight political battles. Our main purpose is to be salt and light in this world. And how great would it be when people could see Christians who could still disagree on issues, but to be humble, to be gentle, to be patient, to be long-suffering with each other. And in fact, Jesus himself said, he said in John 15, 33, that they will know us by our love. And he says, by this, all people will know that you love one another. By this, all people will know that you love one another. And it starts in the house of the Lord. Don't let Satan get a foothold in your life or in this church due to petty politics. Maintain unity in the church, okay? Let's come together and we can just learn to disagree and, and agree to disagree if there's certain issues on that. So, but take advantage of this. Some of the greatest learning times is when I've sat with someone who we were opposite ends of an issue. But it was great because the longer I listened to them, I, have, I was real straight when I said, I never thought about it like that. I've never seen it from that perspective, okay? I, I, I've got to look at some things. And, we, and then when we get back, it's almost, you know, I'm still sticking with my conviction, but I am shifting a few things over here. I've learned some things from you. I learned, uh, I learned that I need to approach this differently or, or you've helped me see some things differently. That's what civility is. And that's how we grow. And this is what the Apostle Paul is saying. Let's maintain that unity. Okay, last thing for every one of us to do is this. Be a prayer warrior on November 3rd and beyond. Be a prayer warrior on November 3rd and beyond. Uh, first of all, pray for the president. Uh, pray for the president and other government leaders. Pray for the president and other government leaders. And when I'm looking at this today, right now, pray for the president. We pray for President Trump. We pray for Vice President, uh, uh, former Vice President Biden. Pray for them that are running. And pray for all the other government leaders. We're to do this. Why are we to do this? Paul tells us, 1 Timothy, writing a, a letter to a young pastor, 1 Timothy 2, in a very repressive government, he says, first of all, then, I urge that supplication, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings, and all who are in high positions. Listen, there weren't many kings or anybody in high position that was very favorable to the, this young Christian movement. But he says, pray for them, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it's pleasing in the sight of, our, of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. At that time, Nero was the ruler. And if Paul says they were to pray for Nero, then we should be able to pray for both Democrats and Republicans and whoever's going to be president. And the result of these prayers, this orderly environment to live in. Pray for your leaders so they'll have wisdom to correctly lead. 
And when the outward environment is peaceful for people and believers, they can more easily focus their lives on the gospel and the worship of God. Let's pray for president and other leaders. And last of all is pray for spiritual revival. Pray for spiritual revival. In uh, Psalm 85, verses six and seven, the psalmist says this, will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. This is our prayer. Will you not revive us again? Can we pray for spiritual revival and awakening take place here in our nation? Listen, the one positive that's come from this contentious presidential election is a stark reminder that we cannot place our hope in political candidates or governmental systems. The hope for America and the hope for our personal lives is in Jesus Christ and Jesus only. So we need to pray for a spiritual awakening, a spiritual revival. We need God's people to get on fire for God and to be the change agents in our world. We need to be transformed people who are sent out to influence their world for Christ. And this is what our call is. And so as we go through these times of, of this political season, let us be that salt and light. Let us be people. Don't, don't take our heads and just kind of bury it in the sand. Just be knowledgeable. Knowledgeable of all of the, the policies, the questions, the issues, and all of that. But may there be a difference in how we handle it. May we be people that are gentle, humble, patient, long-suffering. Surf- and may people see there's a difference just because of the way we handle that. And then when all this is over and whoever's elected, you know what? God's word will be the same. Doesn't matter. If there's a change in the White House, there's not a change in God's, God's word. It's the same. God's word's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. May we be the people that connect with him and say, I will follow him and use these seasons as times for evangelism to see God do some amazing work through us as individuals, through us as a church, and as believers throughout this nation and see an incredible spiritual revival take place and may God's spirit fall on a strong way on us. Let me lead us in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we first of all thank you that we can preach a sermon uh, about our upcoming elections. I thank you that we have the freedom to be able to speak honestly about this And Lord, I thank you that we have a freedom to vote. And you give each one of us an opportunity to let our voice be heard through the ballot box for who we want our next leaders to be. And so I ask, Lord, that I pray overall for our nation as we go through this election and that your will would be done. And that as we come through it and as we get to the end of it, that we can rest on the sovereignty of God. And then, Lord, may each one of us not get so fixated on maybe political issues, but may we be fixated on people and their eternal issues and to talk to people who do not know you as Savior and to help them to understand who you are, to not only help them in this life here, but also for their eternal destination so that one day we can walk together in heaven knowing that we had an opportunity to help lead this person to understand more about the loving, gracious, merciful God that we serve. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.